of our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for giving us truth in the Word of God, Father, truth that sets us free. Thank you for your unending promises, Father. Thank you for always standing by them, and thank you for reminding us of them each and every moment of each and every day. And thank you for articulating them so clearly and so fully in the Word of God so that we can cling to them with everything we've got. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are sick, that are hurting, that you might comfort them. And in due time, your will be done, of course. You might bring them back to us so that we can enjoy their company and their fellowship. Father, we pray for those that are still lost as well, that they might be humbled before it's too late and receive saving faith. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for being given said faith on the work of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. Thank you for giving us this opportunity this evening to rejoice in such things. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. And may it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. I want to review uh, where we began on Sunday with some precious Holy Scripture. Go to John 14, 23. John 14, 23. Just can't seem to get enough of John. I started reading John myself. <clears throat> John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's a reference to believers. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's just perfect. Uh, and don't miss the emphasis there that's going to carry us through this evening as it did on Sunday, he will keep my word. Spirit's had an awful lot to say about that phrase. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me uh, does not keep my words. That's a reference to unbelievers. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, here's some great news. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's funny, uh, I just wrote a, uh, this week's blog, which is titled Confessing Someone Else's Sin. Confessing Someone Else's Sin. And John 14, 26 uh, came up there as well. As it's been coming up quite a bit, I, I think for obvious reasons. It's not the first time we've heard this uh, in a while. We've uh, seen the likes of John 14, 26 
several times now over the past few weeks, and now it's part of a blog. And so to me, it's pretty obvious why. But just in case you don't see these reasons, maybe I can help. The recurring theme from this pulpit, regardless of topic, over the last, what, two, three years has been this. Read your Bibles. Honest to goodness, just read your Bible. You have to do this thing. Why? Because the Spirit uses the Word in us to convict us of the truth. You have to have that standard. It has to be there. There's nothing to measure against. There's nothing to confess if you don't have the standard to confess against. If you don't understand what the standard is so you can even discern right and wrong. You have to know what the standards of God are. We find those in the Word of God. I think the dangerous thing that we see in today's Christianity is people are generally lazy. They just want to be entertained. Uh, so they make things up. They say, well, that's your God. This is mine. I'm a Christian just like you. Well, that's your interpretation. Well, do you read your Bible? No. But they dispel the actual word of God by saying, well, my interpretation or my feelings about God is X, Y, Z. And that becomes their standard of measure. And so their right and wrong is all cockeyed. We have to read our Bibles. We'll never get through all of the word of God uh, in a church like this. We just won't. So it's up to you to read your own Bible. And again, the Spirit uses this word to convict us of the truth. Uh, an immediate, or the immediate example is the effect the truth has on our ability, of course, to discern from right and wrong. Imagine yourself briefly, just, I did this while I was preparing, imagine yourself briefly without any biblical doctrine in you whatsoever. Just imagine if, just for 10 minutes, or a day might be better, or even a week, that might be scary. But let's just go with a day. Imagine for a whole day, God says, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to show you what it's like to have zero doctrine in you. And he took it all away. Everything you know to be right, he took it all away. Imagine that feeling. It's almost like gut-wrenching, isn't it? Would you feel suddenly like a ship lost at sea? I would. The Word of God is like having a nautical map, and a sextant, and a compass, etc., etc. Without these things, we are doomed. We're doomed to peril. However, with these things, that is the truth, we are able to navigate the stormy waters that we call life. And if the storm gets crazy and we're banged around a bit, jostled in our galoshes while on deck, maybe even rattled by a few bumps and bruises as we are thrown from port to starboard and back again, these are the times when we must seek that thing that Jesus had in times of crisis. Jesus had something, and that's what we want. We want what he had. We want to be stable. Amen? Yeah. So it's during those times that we feel lost at sea or we're being battered and bruised that we want that thing that Jesus had in times of crisis, at times when everyone else around him panicked. And hold that thought. We want a thing. We want something. Everyone else around him panicked. Let's see an example. Go to Matthew 8.23. Matthew 
We want that thing, whatever that thing is, you know. Matthew 8:23 And when he got into the boat his disciples followed him and behold there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep He was asleep and they went and woke him saying save us lord we are perishing kind of see the scene right and he said to them why are you afraid oh you of little faith hmm up here on the board the power of true faith now we still haven't got to that thing yet strictly speaking we're kind of there the power of true faith Jesus had a peace that transcended all circumstances at the core of this peace was his faith he embodied truth John 1:14 and therefore enjoyed perfect ongoing freedom Allah John 8:32 cuz the truth shall make you free Let me say it again this is the power of true faith Jesus had a peace that transcended all circumstances at the core of this peace was his faith he embodied truth and therefore enjoyed perfect ongoing freedom Now here's the thought I asked you to hold on to Faith requires an object lest it be vapid, worthless, and weak. The object of that faith counts. And a weak faith never holds up under pressure. That's exactly what Jesus was explaining to the disciples on the boat with him that day in the storm. Again, look at verse 25. They went and woke him, saying, "Save us, Lord, we are perishing." And he said to them, "Why are you afraid, O you of little faith?" So might we turn this question upon ourselves? And mind you, I still haven't named the, that thing that Jesus had, the object if you will. Might we though turn this question upon ourselves? Why are we afraid? Some of you might be going through a storm or two right now. Maybe you just weathered one. Why were you afraid during that time? Why were you unsettled? Why did you lose peace? Why did you lose sleep at night? Because the Bible says if you have these things, you sleep like a baby. Hmm. Before we name this object, though, might we step back and consider our own lack of faith and the resultant fear and misery in our lives? Might we take this investigation one step further by seeking and examining the object of our supposed faith? I mean the the probably the greatest uh downfall I can certainly relate to this myself is faith in self especially if you got areas of strength in your life and um it just seems to be easy to turn to the flesh and sort of the flesh rears itself up and you have in that moment more faith in your ability to deliver yourself than you do to sit, sit back and watch God bring glory to himself by delivering you which is something that happens by faith. So again, might we take this investigation just a little further by looking for this object of our supposed faith? What if we dig this deep and in humility 
figure out that the reason we lack faith is because we don't do this one thing. <laughs> what if that's the reason? What if in humility we look back on our own lives and say, I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not taking in enough of the Word. And then when I do take it in, it's hurried because it's the morning and I'm getting ready for work or I'm taking care of the kids or I'm, the dogs are already barking and the cat's scratching me and you, whatever's going on in your life, right? What is the storm today? There always seems to be a storm brewing, doesn't there? Every morning. Every time I open up my, my smartphone, something's always brewing. Right? It's like, oh, here we go. What's going on now? Oh, so-and-so. All right. What's the problem? Why can't we weather the storms? Why do we fail that test? Why does he indirectly say to us, why are you afraid? Oh, you of what? Little faith. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The word. The word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So, alas, we are able to identify the thing that Jesus had faith in. It's called the truth. And how, pray tell, did Jesus get this truth? You might say, oh, he was God. All right, go to Luke 2.40. Luke 2.40. How did Jesus get this truth? He was just born confident. He's one of those guys, right? Ah, oh, those guys you love to hate. He was just born, you know, whatever. No. No, not at all. Look at Luke 2.40. What did he do? This is shocking, I bet you, to some Christians. Honestly, I bet you this is shocking. Maybe to you even right now. Connecting the dots. Like, it might be shocking to you to remember this. Luke 2.40. And the child, this is Jesus in view, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let me give you, let me give you a little hint here up here on the board. You ready? Jesus read his Bible. What? Yes, Jesus read his Bible. So you, you, we don't really have an excuse, do we? We can't say, oh, he popped out of the womb and he was brilliant. And he knew all doc. No, he didn't. He read his Bible and he grew in wisdom. And he learned. Imagine that. Jesus Christ read his Bible. Hmm. Up here on the board, Jesus read his Bible. First two words say what? In obedience. He had good parents. He had parents that were intent on raising him in the faith. He obeyed. I'm not saying he ever was like, ah, oh, do we have to read the Bible? Probably was never like that. <laughs> I'm just saying. But his parents raised him in a household of faith where the Bible was read because he learned the Bible. In obedience to his father's will, Jesus studied and learned the word of God. And the favor, grace, uh, in, is translated elsewhere, charis. Favor is charis in the original Greek. As some of you know that to be the word that's translated grace. The favor or grace was upon him, Luke 2.40. God gives grace to who? The humble. James 4, 6. Who was, who was more humble than Jesus? No one. Who received more grace than Jesus? No one. 
Who was given more provision than Jesus Christ? No one. Do you see the relationship between humility and obedience and grace? The humble submit to the word of God and are blessed. Jesus is our perfect example. Jesus lived an incredibly blessed life. Why? Because he was perfectly humble. And God gives grace to the humble. Jesus read his Bible. Don't forget that. So, just to put this all into perspective, Jesus was riding out a storm. That's Matthew 8. We read that. That was scaring the wits out of his disciples. And he did so by sleeping through it. He's like, I'm just going to sleep through this thing. Which type of person are you? When the storm hits, do you go, you know, pass out and uh, I guess there's nothing else to do, right? We lost power. I guess we're going to go lay down. Or are you freaking out? Which type of person are you, honestly? Do you ever admire someone for their Christ-like ability to weather the storms of life and never lose a wink of sleep? What's their, quote, secret? What's the secret? I want what he's having. I want what she's having. And by the way, I use the word secret sort of tongue-in-cheek because only unbelievers should ever really call this a secret, to be honest, because we believers know what the issue really is. It's not a secret. All we have to do is consider Jesus Christ himself, and we find the so-called secret to his faith, the object strictly speaking. Again, it's up here on the board. Jesus read his Bible. In obedience to his Father's will, Jesus studied and learned the Word of God, and the favor, was up, the favor of God was upon him. God gives grace to the humble. The humble submit to the Word of God and are blessed. Jesus is our perfect example. So again, in the midst of a horrible storm, Jesus had what? Peace. In the midst of a horrible storm, Jesus had peace. And being the giving person that he is, he wants all of us to join him in the sphere of this same peace. It's a state of mind. You're untouchable. That's the whole point. The more of the Word of God that you are even able to place your faith in, the more peace you have the more unshakable you are, unflappable you are in the face of all kinds of adversity. And Jesus says, I invite you into this sphere. I invite you to where I'm at. John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And he's given us his word and his spirit to accomplish this. What's our play in this then? We have to obey. He says, I'm going to give you my word, and I'm going to give you my spirit. What's our, well, then what do we do? We have to obey. We have to follow his lead. We have to read our Bible. We have to take in the word of God. The provisions are right there before us, but he doesn't ever jam it down our throats. 
He said, here. You got it? Here. We have to obey. All right. Just a quick refresher course on obedience. Go to Jeremiah 7.23. Just a really quick refresher course on the topic of obedience. It's been a while. But I really want you to make the connection between reading your Bible and obedience because we are commanded to do this very thing, to take in the Word of God. Jeremiah 7.23. Jeremiah 7.23. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that, so that, in other words, it may be well with you. Ta-da! Do what I say, and it will be well with you. Any questions? I don't think so. Do what I say, walk in a way, walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Hmm. Doesn't take much to decode that. How about John 14, 15? John 14, 15. <clears throat> John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a obedience issue. You will keep my commandments. That's just another way of saying you'll obey. If you love me, you'll obey. You see the same sphere. Remember that whole thing? Love and obedience that you have to obey to be in the sphere of love. Remember, this was one of the verses that I used. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Remember the other one was if you uh, keep my commandments, you'll abide my love. That was that sort of bi-directional hook. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Whew. Keep my commandments, and the Spirit of truth is going to be in you. How about 1 John uh, 5, 3? 1 John 5, verse 3. Again, just a short course on obedience. 1 John 5, verse 3. <clears throat> 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Hmm. How about 1 John 3.24? 1 John 3.24. These verses and passages were chosen to encourage you, to show you the connection even between love and obedience. 1 John 3.24 Whoever keeps his commandments, in other words, obeys, abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
You see all the connective tissue? Same theme. Luke, go to Luke 11.28. <clears throat> Luke 11.28. Who's blessed? That's a good question. Who is blessed, by the way? You might say, oh, just being alive, you're blessed. Just coming to church. How about this? Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Who hear the word of God and keep it. Those are the ones who are blessed. How about James one twenty two? <clears throat> James one twenty two. James 1, verse 22. You should know this passage by now. James 1, 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Obedience. And then one last one. Go to Psalm 112, verse 1. Psalm 112, verse 1. Psalm 112, verse 1. Again, who gets blessed? Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Any questions? That's the beauty of obedience. That's the beauty of obedience. We don't have a, a taskmaster, per se. We have a God that loves us. And he says, this is the best path for you. I want to lay out some commandments to keep you in, on the narrow way. And it's up to you to obey. And if you stay on that way, if you're obedient, you're blessed. If you fear me, you'll hear my commandments. That's what it says right there, doesn't it? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. If you respect me, if you fear me, if you fear, the, fear of what happens if you take an alternative route, if you go against my will, if you sin, who greatly delights in his commandments? So blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. All right, that's just a friendly reminder of the doctrine of obedience the spirit just said from this pulpit what we all have to obey that's all we really have to do what is left honest to goodness what is left we don't have to create new doctrines we don't have to live existentially we don't have to derive god out of our lives figure this all out on the fly no we actually have the word of god and he says read your bible everything you need to know is right there no lie no gimmicks. No, I gotcha. None of that. It's right there. Read it, obey it, and all will be well with you. We just read that in a variety of ways. Seems simple to me. I mean, the funny thing is, now this is the craziest thing of all. Jesus did it. 
right? He, Jesus did it. That's, why, that's how he found so-called success in the spiritual life. He read his Bible. He learned. And then guess what? Ready? He obeyed. He obeyed. Granted, he did it perfectly because he was perfect. In obedience to his Father's will, Jesus studied and learned the Word of God. And the favor of, I should say, of God. And the favor of God was upon, I think I got so excited about Kairos. Rough week, guys? <laughs> Sheesh. Either that, you're like totally into it. The favor, the Kairos of God was upon him. God gives grace to the humble. The humble submit to the word of God and are blessed. Jesus is our perfect example. Now, reviewing. In the midst of a horrible storm, Jesus had perfect peace. Hmm. The very embodiment of grace and truth, a la John 1.14, wants all of us to join him in the sphere of this peace. Go to John 14.27. John 14.27. It's almost like he's inviting you. Okay, next time there's a storm, why don't you come in the bunk with me? Come on. Let's just go get some Z's. Wait till this thing passes by. Right? What are you going to do? Oh, you're going to do what most of us try to do. You're going to say, ah, okay, I'm going to wrangle this thing like a bull. Right? And you fight it. Nobody? Or you arm wrestle with the world over it, and you, you lose. And you have no peace, and you don't sleep. You lose your peace. You lose your contentment. You lose your happiness. People around you, like your family members, your spouse maybe, is miserable because you're just oozing all over the place. And then Jesus says, you know what? Next time there's a storm, remember my promises. Of course, you have to read the word of God. But remember my promises and remember this. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. We have a full-blown invitation into the sphere of peace at any given point in time. That's what I love about change in perspective. It's just a... Deliverance is a change of perspective away. What's the best way to have a change of perspective? When God the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance Holy Scripture. Is that fair? Yeah. That literally is the best way. And that's the invitation. And, but that's the, the obedience, how obedience is tied to taking advantage of that invitation. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And so we have a context change here. I gave you a little uh, side perspective on Sunday on this phrase from Barnes, if you loved me, in John 14, 28. This is the slight and tender reproof of a friend, meaning manifestly, if you had proper love for me, if you had the highest views of my character and work, if you would lay aside your Jewish prejudices and put enti uh, entire implicit confidence in what I say, you would have rejoiced. And some of you might say the same thing. Instead of moaning and rolling around and calling your friends and, and being becoming belligerent because you're going through a storm, maybe with the right perspective, 
You know, like when Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. When you persecuted and you are delivered by grace, you bring glory to my Father. When he said all those things, maybe your perspective would be, hey, wait a minute. I'm having the badge of honor to be put in the middle of a storm. God's never going to give me more than I can handle. To be put in the middle of a storm so that I can come out on top by grace through faith and bring glory to God. That says, that's, everything changes, does it not? Everything changes. Some of you are like, oh, you haven't been to my work. Okay, what, is the, what does the Bible say about work? You do everything as unto the Lord. If, you, if your boss is a jackass, then do it for the Lord. You should be anyways. Right? That's part of the storm. Some storms are really long. <laughs> Some long, last as long as your job. <laughs> so you have to go through it. And instead of being miserable about it, and you can't sleep at night, the idea is to have this kind of an attitude, a change of perspective. If you just trusted me, if you loved me wholly, you would have rejoiced. Same thing goes for you yesterday when you failed. You would have considered it a test that you've been proffered up to the kingdom of darkness as able to pass by the grace of God. And when you have that change of perspective, things change, don't they? A storm is no longer something to moan about, but it's actually something to embrace. I know it's difficult, and I know it's painful sometimes, but you get the point. You have the opportunity to bring glory to God. Who the hell are we? Wait a minute, I get to bring, I get to be a vessel that's used to bring glory to God? Whoa, wait a minute, what? I have the privilege of being used to the glory of God? Yes. Verse 28 again. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. It's all for the good. I just quoted something from Jesus elsewhere. If they persecuted you, they're going to persecute. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He's already told us we're going to get persecuted. <laughs> He's told us so that we would believe. Once again, Jesus, though, even in context here, is referring to faith. And as we pondered earlier, faith must have an object. And in this case, it is the truth, that which Jesus had taught them. They should have known. Had they clung to the truth, the whole truth, they would have rejoiced. That's what he was saying. If you were pure in your faith, if you clung to the object, my words, of that faith, when this thing happened, you would have rejoiced. That's the pattern for us. If you cling to the object, you have faith. And then when the stormy sea comes, you might even rejoice. If you're not sleeping, you might just rejoice. And you wake up and you go, look at that. I survived. Not even a scratch. Not even a scratch. And that, my friends, is something to rejoice over. Amen? When you can get through a storm that you couldn't get through 10 years ago without flipping out, and now you can get through it without a scratch or maybe just a couple of bruises, you know, because everybody, you know. That's, that's a miracle. 
That's a miracle. But it, the, beauty, the beauty of it all is that Jesus read his Bible. And he grew up and learned wisdom and grew in wisdom. The pattern's right before us. Jesus didn't want his disciples to be rattled by the fact that he wasn't going to be with them much longer. He wanted the greatest event in human history to be something they would immediately believe in and be set free by. He wanted them to understand his obedience to the Father's plan. That was certainly baked into it. He wanted them to understand his obedience to the Father's plan. He said, this is Dad's plan. I'm fulfilling his plan. He just, we just read that. If you listen to what I was saying, you'd be rejoicing. And some of you have to listen really hard and say, why does God have me in this situation? Because that's God's plan for you. Hello, wake up. Stop being so myopic or so self-absorbed. Right? That's God's plan for you. This past week, this past month, this past year, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. So stop complaining. Be encouraged. Be obedient. That's what he wanted his disciples to see. He wanted them to understand his obedience to the Father's plan. He wanted them to abide in the truth because the truth is what sets a person free. If you read your Bible with the big picture in mind, this is what you see Jesus imparting to his disciples over and over and over again. You ever, if you just watch the, his interactions, right? I was having a discussion the other day. It's so messed up. He's like, listen, I got to leave. I'm going to get murdered on a cross. <gasps> I wonder which one of us is the greatest. <laughs> what? He constantly, <laughs> it's, the, it's comical. He constantly had to like, hey, wait a minute. You missing the big picture here? Big picture's not about who's the greatest. I'm gonna, this is a cataclysmic event in all of human history. It's about to happen. And you guys are talking about who's the greatest. And you're sending your mummy over here. Oh, can, we, can my son sit with you closer? Go to John 8.31. Big picture, folks. Big picture. If you read the Bible with a big picture in mind, that is what you see. Over and over again, Jesus just redirecting, reorienting his disciples to what was really going on. Even though they kept getting sucked in Jewish prejudices, uh, pre self-prejudices, wanting to be the best, uh, all the garbage that we all go through thousands of years later. John 8.31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let me give you uh, McDonald. I think we saw this on <clears throat> Sunday as well. McDonald on John 8.31. Those who are true believers have this characteristic. They abide in the word. This means that they continue in the teachings of Christ. They do not turn aside from him. True faith always has the quality of permanence. They are not saved by abiding in his word, but they abide in his word because they are saved. Again, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is the pattern. 
What is the truth? Some might ask. All right, I gave you that on Sunday as well, up here on the board, just in case you forgot. This is an easy one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's the same thing as saying, sanctify them in the word. Give them the word. Impart to them the word. Have your spirit empower the entire process. Have him teach us. Have him mentor us out there as we're trying to spend it on life. And in that process, we're sanctified. Sanctified. That was Jesus' prayer for all of us, for the church. Sanctify them in this truth. Your word is truth. That's all you really need to know on the subject is John 17, 17. It's all you really need to know. If you are truly seeking the truth, then look no further than that book in front of you. That's it. That's all you really need. If you're really and truthfully seeking the truth, you don't need to look any further. I mean, hasn't he opened it up to your eyes over the past few years, like completely? I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I couldn't read my Bible before. I had a mental block. I had an emotional, I had something was blocking me. Bad doctor, I don't know what the hell it was, right? So, I know what it was, but they are confused. They were uh, um, insecure. You imagine, isn't that just terrible? You've got the perfect, loving, holy God of the universe who sent his son to die for you, and then you're insecure about approaching him? Does that add up? No, it doesn't add up at all. But that is exactly how some of you were for years. Didn't think you could read your Bible. So I hope over the past few years... Um, You've appreciated what the Spirit has done for you. He's opened up your hearts to the truth. And he said, this is all for you. I don't care if you read three words a minute. I'll make it happen for you. Because God gives grace to the humble. And keep that book as you keep Jesus in your heart. For they are one and the same, he and the Logos. Let me give you this. <clears throat> the greatest experience in this lifetime is to abide in truth. That's it. And I know, you know, Jesus Christ is grace and truth, so all that's wrapped in, but get the gist, right? The greatest experience in this life is to abide in the truth. You want peace in your soul, in time? Abide in truth. You want everything to work out for the best? Abide in truth. You want to have contentment? Abide in truth. You want to have a good marriage? Abide in the truth. You want to have good friendships? Abide in the truth. All of this pivots on abiding in truth. Your life pivots on abiding in truth. And it's just so easy to forget it. It's so primitive that we... We, we lose sight of it. We get distracted. We, we, we start thinking that the greatest experiences in life are, are, are vacations or, or uh, new vehicles or, I don't know, whatever it is. We start thinking those are the things that we, you know, those things become our treasures. And Jesus is like, that's garbage. Paul said, that's all rubbish. Those are your treasures? No. 
That's not your treasure. That's not the truth. So don't abide in it. Hmm. Nothing in our lives is more powerful than the truth. Go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. Nothing in our lives is more powerful than the truth. That's why abiding in it sets us free. There is so much connective tissue being laid before you this evening, it's hard to explain. I'm just, that's why I'm kind of almost monotone, because <laughs> I can't weave it. There's too much. I can't weave it. So you're going to have to take this lesson home and what he's presented, re-listen to or something, but there's a lot going on, and it's all for good. It's all encouraging, but there's a lot going on. That's what you learn. You learn the Bible. You read the Bible. This is a pretty thick book, right? So do I have the audacity to say it's really about just the gospel? Yeah. Well, why all the... I, it's, there's a lot there, but it's not hard. It's simple. It all points back to the same thing. All of it. Love, peace, contentment, life, friendship, fellowship, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit... You pick whatever doctrine you want. It all comes back to the gospel. I swear to you, that's the truth. If you're not there yet, that's cool. But I, I promise you, that is exactly what you are reading when you open your Bible. And I don't care if you're in the first book or the last, or anywhere in between. You are reading about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is it. And that in itself cuts to the bone because it gives everything in this world definition because now we really do have the divine standard. You get it? Now we really do have the divine standard and everything else is compared against him. That's it. Hebrews 4.12. Oh, by the way, he is the word of God. And what does Hebrews 4.12 say? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Whew! So if we're going to read our Bibles the way I just described, we have to come to that experience in humility. We have to let this thing happen. We have to realize that we're supposed to be buck naked before the holy God of the universe, that we're supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be completely and utterly vulnerable before him. That's the truth. And the truth shall what? Set you free. If you come all guarded and you're protecting certain things in certain areas of your life and you're like, no, that's too ugly or I really don't want to get rid of that part yet, to that degree, you're stunting your own spiritual growth and therefore your own freedom. That's all Jesus kept saying. If you had the little faith, if you listened, if you loved me with a purer love, you'd be rejoicing. 
As Jesus prayed in 17, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. We are sanctified then in the truth. So let us focus on the things that really, truly matter in this life. Let's take Paul's advice. Go to Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. And Philippians 4.8 and 9 really speak to uh, the point on the board. The greatest experience in this lifetime is to abide in truth. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. That's basically the longhand version of the point of the board. And I could find a multitude of other passages that literally say the same thing. Different contexts, different accounts of people's lives, different audiences being spoken to or corrected or what have you, or, or edified. Same message. Same message. If you if you want to if you want to be free in this life, if you want to have peace, true peace, if you want to be set free, you got to have the word. You have to have the truth. Let us do as the writer of Hebrews encourages us. Go to Hebrews twelve one, Hebrews twelve verse one. I can't see things getting easier out there. And the older we get the more, geez, even un physically uncomfortable. You might say, why does he always move around so much up there? It's because I, I hurt. My knee hurts right now. My hip hurts. <laughs> right? Everybody's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just explaining. Do you know what I mean? I'm, even our physical bodies are just falling apart. It's ridiculous. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Does that make any human sense? No, that's exactly what I've been trying to teach all night. He obeyed his father, and he was a joy set before him. Was he smiling? No. I don't know anybody that smiles when they get punched in the face or have their beard ripped out or they get crucified. I don't know anybody that smiles during that. But he had somehow he conjured, somehow he had a joy set before him. And he, by the way, is our pattern. And he, by the way, is the one who read his Bible. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's already paved the way, in other words, up here on the board, so that you may not grow weary 
or faint-hearted. Keep your eyes squarely focused on Jesus Christ at all times. Maintain focus. Do not be distracted. Remember the word that has been spoken to you. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit even. Ephesians 5.18, Colossians 3, 5-17. Keep your eyes squarely focused on Jesus. We looked at this. I've got a little time left. Let's go quickly. Being filled with the Spirit results in our abiding in the sphere of God's love. And of course, peace is there. Confidence, all the things we've been learning experientially. Hence, Paul's repeated encouragement. Go to Colossians 3.14. Colossians 3.14. Colossians 3.14 And above all these, put on love. I don't know about you, but he's he's been softening myself, and he's been softening others in this congregation. And softening not in a, like we were out of joint before, just taking us to another place, to green pastures on the other side of the hill. Because God knows we need to go through the last 10 years together. Amen? Some of you are like, you did. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't have any resentment about how he got you there. Because like I said earlier, you were where you were supposed to be. And you're here now because of those times, because of all those hard lessons, all those, you know, WWF beatdowns, all (laughs) your way you are now because of that. Don't forget that. Don't resent all that uh, occurred previously just because now we're on this side of the hill where things tend to be a little softer. Colossians 3.14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule. Rule. I'm going to have to look up the Greek on that. I bet you that would be a very interesting word. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell, the word of Christ, you see, Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In, I just quoted this, did I not? Oh, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I really do hope, my friends, you see all the connective tissue But in this passage, specifically between the peace of Christ in verse 15 and the word of Christ in verse 16, because they are intrinsically related, the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. If you connect all that the Spirit's given us together this evening, you end up with the conclusion that if you abide in his word, you abide in his love. And if you abide in his love, you abide in his peace, and so on. 
as I've taught you many times in the past, abiding is a package deal. Abiding is a package deal. It's why I always refer to it as the sphere of. Abiding is a package deal, implying that to abide in His love is to abide in Him. It's why we can never play that game of asking for something so precious and so beautiful as peace, but rejecting the obedience of faith. I think I'm going to leave you with that. It's why we can never play the game of asking for peace, but rejecting the obedience of faith. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this message this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free. Thank you for giving us the faculties in the Bibles to be able to do as you're commanding and your spirit is encouraging this evening to go home and read our Bibles and to take in more of the said truth, Father, so that we might be set free more and more and enjoy the sphere and abiding in the sphere of your peace and love. We just ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.